we don't do something though, if we just let things go, if we don't think through some of this stuff, if we're just doing agile methods, we're going to build a system that's going to rot. Welcome to Inside Outside Innovation, episode 92. Today's show is another talk given at the 2017 Inside Outside Innovation Summit. Doug Durham has over 30 years of experience in software and software-related fields. In his talk, he shared best practices and lessons learned from working with product development teams with a focus on agile methodology. But before we get into Doug's segment, Brian wanted to share a little bit more about the upcoming 2018 summit, including some description of the speakers. Jack Elkins. Jack is the Director of Innovation at the Orlando Magic. Natalie Fredo, VP at Silicon Valley Bank. We've got David Bland coming out. If you don't know David, David has been instrumental in the Lean Startup movement, has a company called Precoil, and has been in the, the trenches uh, since the beginning days of Lean Startup. Andrew Ehrlich. Andrew is with Indiegogo, and he helps oversee the enterprise uh, capabilities of the Indiegogo platform. So if you're not familiar with Indiegogo, it's a crowdsourced platform, and what they're finding is a number of different corporations are actually using it as a way to R&D and, and test out new products. So Andrew's going to talk about how uh, that's going to work and how Indiegogo has been a part of both startups and corporates moving forward. Wendy Lee. Wendy is the CEO of Centrifuge. If you're not familiar with the Cincinnati startup scene, uh, you need to. <laughs> you need to get involved with it. Uh, it's an amazing ecosystem, uh, startups and corporates collaborating together, and uh, Wendy heads up the Centrifuge uh, group that uh, does investing and public support in and around building uh, entrepreneur ecosystem. And she's going to be coming out here to talk about uh, Cincinnati and some of the things that they've learned uh, through that process. Peter Gardner. Peter is a Silicon Valley veteran and founder of a company called StartGrid, which helps to pair startups and corporates together. Bart Foster. Bart is with formerly with Seba uh, Vision, and he has an amazing story of being a entrepreneur that launched and spun out a startup called Solo Health, sold it, and now he's in the business of being a starting a fund uh, in the corporate venture space. So we've got an amazing group of folks coming to together. Those are the first few speakers that we're announcing to be part of the summit. So go ahead, grab your ticket at theiosummit.com. Early bird pricing is available through March 15th, so grab it early and save a few dollars. And we look forward to seeing you out in Lincoln, Nebraska, May 29th through 31st. So besides writing the code, besides developing the software, what other main responsibility do we have as developers? Well, a key one to kind of enable that whole explore exploit cycle is to enable business agility. Okay, and what do I mean by that? Well, that's as we're going through these build, measure, learn cycles, what are we doing to ensure that we are effectively leveraging what we've learned in order to build and making sure that whatever we're building is able to be measured in order to learn, right? So how do we do this? Well, one, and this is a key point of this, is that we need to be able to be rapid and effective in our response to what we're learning in the market throughout the whole process. So think of that in terms of not just during that ball of mud during the explore phase, but also during the exploitation phase, and then back into that ball of mud when we're exploring again, right? We need to sustain that throughout. So we also, uh, and this is maybe a more subtle point, we often are working, you know, in an agile environment, we're often working with a product owner, somebody who typically is not 
necessarily a technical person. We have a responsibility to work with that person to make sure they understand trade-offs that they're making between the value of some desired feature and our ability to implement that. It's not, I think we're doing a disservice if we're just saying, we'll just take whatever the customer is telling us and we'll build that regardless of its, its complexity. We need to, there's trade-offs there. That's part of the engineering that needs to go into this. We're big fans of Agile methods at Don't Panic Labs. We've been doing some form of Agile for over 10 years now. Um, and they have been immensely powerful in terms of just building the relationships between us and product owners and product management and sales, getting everybody on the same page, making sure that we're totally focused on working on those things that are providing value. But the problem for us is the agile methods are not enough, and I think this is a key, a key point of my talk here. They are not a silver bullet. Part of the problem is that the problems we're trying to tackle now are getting more and more complex. So 15 years ago, 20 years ago, we were building e-commerce systems to be able to do online sales. Um, and the types of systems we were building then, today would look very naive compared to what's out there today. The type of stuff we're building over at Nebraska Global and Don't Panic Labs, we're trying to use computer vision technology to track patients in hospital beds to try to predict when they're going to get out of the bed unattended. I mean, those are problems that wouldn't even have been on our, the horizon for us 10 or 15 years ago. So we're, we're on this constant march to trying to solve more and more complex problems, and we're trying to do it with software. Another challenge here is that, you know what, we're, we have a lot of people in the field of software development. We're chronically short of people. We don't do a great job of training people kind of academically in the first place. And so we have kind of a mixed bag of, of maturity levels of our teams. If we could all build a team of just really you know, the, 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 uh, the top 10% of developers, we may not have the problems that, uh, that most teams have, but the rest of us are kind of the mere mortals out there. We're, you know, we're good, solid developers, but, um, but we can get crushed by a lot of these problems. So we need to really address the software development side of, this, of, the, of, the, of the equation here, to pair that up with Agile process. And this is something that wasn't, you know, while we kind of had this epiphany of Don't Panic Labs, it wasn't lost on the people who developed the Agile uh, methodology in the first place. I don't know if many might recognize the screen here. This is the, the, uh, from the Agile Manifesto website. This is not the page that has the Agile Manifesto. This is a page that links from that to the principles behind that. Um, and I wanted to highlight a couple of these. One is this whole idea that Agile methods and Agile teams should maintain a constant pace indefinitely. So if anybody's been in software development for any period of time and have worked on a project of software for more than a year or two, you realize there tends to be some friction and slowness in terms of your productivity. Things tend to slow down. That doesn't have to be the case, and that shouldn't be the case. How are we going to maintain that explore, exploit, explore, exploit if, if every incremental change takes that much more effort? This whole notion that continuous, continuous attention to technical excellence and good design is part of the principles behind the Agile methods. And then simplicity, trying to really focus on what is the simplest solution to this problem. I think these principles are often overlooked by teams that are trying to adopt Agile methods. They focus more on the process of Agile and they're maybe not appreciating the fact that we have this whole other side of it, the, ha the actual execution phase of software development. This managing complexity problem is also got issues because we're kind of fighting our, our human nature. So as these problems are getting more and more complex, we're not getting better and better at handling complex systems. 
right? We're limited to how much we can actually do to get our heads around complex problems. Anytime you've, I've got to put a feature in here and I, I need to try to understand all the different areas of this complex system that is ever growing and becoming more and more complex, I'm limited in what I can do to do that, okay? We're just fighting human nature there. So when we launched Nebraska Global and Don't Panic Labs a little over seven years ago, um, we had a unique opportunity to, to, uh, we, to build a lot of new kind of what we call greenfield pro software products. So over the last seven years, we've built numerous software products, and when I mean software products, things that are being sold to consumers. So you have this kind of, you know, it, it's a whole nother ball game. You know, that's why we're doing a lot of these innovation processes. We're developing products for consumers. We did a lot of these over that seven to 10 years. It was a relatively small team of people that were involved in these projects as well. I think at our, we've got right now maybe, I think a little, almost 40 people. They're software developers over, over four companies. So it's a pretty small, pretty small team. And of that team, you had a lot of experienced people. So we founded that team with people like myself, 20 or so years experience. And that, you know, that means we also had a lot of perspective on a lot of things that didn't work. We like to say we spilt a lot of blood on the floor over those 20 years. And that perspective is really helpful to see, you know, where problems might be occurring down the road. And so when we came into Nebraska Global, we knew we had to do something different. And we knew we had to have more devotion to really sound patterns and principles. And so that was a hallmark of what we were trying to build as a culture. The result of all this is it created a great kind of learning environment over that seven years where there's a lot of communication, a lot of different problems trying to be solved, a lot of different products. And it really, it really allowed us to crystallize kind of a set of patterns and methodologies and design principles that have really enabled us to, to really enable business agility to continue to sustain development on a lot of different products. We've got products in work now that are six, seven-year-old code bases. And again, if you've been in this field for any long period of time, you realize products start to, software bases tend to age and start really decaying well beyond, well ahead of six years, especially if they're under constant development. So the result of those things is we've developed, we were able to put together a, a software methodology that we could use across a variety of different problem domains. So whether it was a healthcare application or an infrastructure management system for cities or an, um, an athletic training program, any of these number of things, we used the same kind of core design principles and methodologies across all those things because we had to move these engineers around to different projects. And so we, while they had to learn a different domain, we don't want them to have to learn a different methodology or a different design. And like I said, this has enabled us to maintain and sustain this development cycle and so we can go through these explore, exploit cycles and not see a really reduction in our velocity. So I know some of you out there might be developers might be saying, yeah, I don't have time for that. We've got to get this MVP out. We've, we've heard a lot of these things. You've probably heard a lot of these things. We, at one point in our lives, were saying a lot of these things. Um, there's always reasons why we just need to get in there and start slinging code. We, you know, hack and, you know, code and fix. Just get it out there. This bottom one is particularly true. I hear this more often than not, especially if you're in an innovation initiative. We got to get that MVP out there. I'm just going to throw this together. If it if it works and if the customers like it, we'll come back. We'll re-architect it and we'll fix it. We'll do it the right way. Well, what happens if your product is successful? Do you think you're going to have time to, to stop the presses and, and, and spend three months redesigning the same? No. If it's successful, the customers are going to want the next feature. And I want this, and you should change that. And if we only did this, the sales guys are saying, hey, you know what? We're getting a lot of traction over here. If we could just build this thing, then I'm really going to be able to open this thing up. 
you know, the only time you have a chance to go back and really re-architect the system is when you don't have customers with needs. And then you kind of lost your motivation for that. Well, one of the guys who signed that Agile Manifesto, his name was Martin Fowler. And he was the guy, I don't know if you can see in the picture, he was the guy up at the whiteboard. And he's, uh, he's a, if you haven't heard of him, he's a, one of the main thought leaders in the whole Agile community, but also in the community of software design. And he wrote an essay a few years ago that this graphic is from, which is one of my favorite charts, because it, it's very simple and it really kind of explains the trade-off between discipline to software design and what you get if you just get in there and code and, and fix. And he calls this his design stamina hypothesis. And he would, he would propose, and I would agree, this blue line here represents, if I just get in there and code and fix, I'm just slinging code right off the bat. Somebody gave me a feature, I pulled it off the backlog, I start coding it. And this is the kind of cumulative functionality, and this is time. So in the beginning, yeah, if I just start pulling cards off the, off the backlog and start putting things in place, I'm probably going to develop more features than that team who might want to take a more disciplined approach to saying, let's just make sure that we're doing good design here. Let's make sure we're building something that is sustainable. But at some point, you're going to have a crossover here. At some point, the lack of a coherent design is going to start working against you. And that incremental piece of functionality is going to be more and more difficult to put in place. And I think what's interesting is he proposes, and I would agree, that that crossover point is probably weeks, not months, into a software project, especially one where you have a lot of people on a team, right? If, you have any, if your team is of any size, and I'm, I'm talking four or five, six people, that's going to happen rather quickly. If you are working in a system that doesn't have a single kind of coherent design identity, you're going to have problems. You're going to have six independent design designs in there if you have six people on that project. And this has been our experience. So the bottom line is, whether you explicitly define a software design for your system or, you're, or not, a design happens. Design choices are made by the developer or they're made by some other principal lead that, it, that has a kind of a coherent picture of what the system needs to do and how it can be maintained over time. In software entropy, which is the kind of the natural nature of software without any sort of outside influence to decay and become more chaotic is a real thing. That's something we have, to, we have to realize. And if you combine chaos and poor design, what are we going to do? We're going to lose our business agility. We're going to slow down. We're not going to be able to react to that new piece of information that we learned. So the question is, do we want to have a design be random? Or do we want a coherent design and that's consistent and allows us to continue to have sustained development throughput? Well, we, uh, we implemented a lot of design principles and best practices, test-driven development and, and code reviews and continuous integration. We're doing a lot of that. And I realize you know, there's a lot of companies doing that. And there's probably more that aren't. Um, and those are good things. I think the key differentiator for us, though, and the reason for our success was primarily this whole idea of designing the software itself for change. And that is what, uh, that, that is probably the, the key point I want to make here is that traditionally software design and development is, there's methodologies around object-oriented design and maybe service orientation, but they're not really getting to the kind of the nut of the thing we have to deal with in an innovative environment. We have to recognize that change is not only going to happen, it's going to happen rapidly. And we don't know what that change is going to be. This is also known as kind of volatility-based decomposition. 
So you're, you're looking at a system saying, where am I going to have volatility and how do I design the system around that? And that term was put out by a guy named Duval Louis from iDesign. Um, and so if you Google that, you should be able to find some talks where he goes into great detail about this. But the key point here is we're going to look at everything that, that could possibly change in the system, even things that are unknown. Things that are, we don't know what the change is going to be, we just know it's going to change. And we're going to try to design the system so we can encapsulate that. So as that change happens, it's localized or it doesn't ripple throughout the system. And that's really what the key that's going to enable that business agility for us. So what are some examples of things that might change? Well, data storage and data access. Workflow or sequence of events change all the time. You know, the, the, the various experiences that users get, those are things we're tweaking all the time. So that is an area of volatility. A lot of times we're switching out different backends, different services. We're trying, we might go from our own mail service to we're using SendGrid. We're doing, you know, we're changing things out to try to gain leverage here. And if every time we do that, I've got to change things all over this code base, I'm, I'm not going to get that, that sustained velocity. So those are things we're encapsulating as well. Your basic business rules, how we're calculating pricing, how we're determining upsells, the pricing, how do we do dynamic pricing if we're Uber. I'm, I'm expecting they probably have an isolated engine that's dealing with that, that it's not spread code, code that's spread throughout their system there. And then areas that are just, in general, difficult to design. We also see things, databases traditionally, you put the database schema in there and then you couple the whole rest of your system to that database schema and it's really hard to change at that point. That is really tragic. So what we have to recognize databases need to change as well. Can we isolate that from the rest of our business logic? So some observations from our experience with this. This is based on sound engineering principles, not just software engineering principles. Other systems are designed the same way. It's just been late to really getting here in software. But I would point out that down here at the bottom here, the concept that is driving this is something called information hiding, which I suspect very few people here have heard of this. But that, that was a principle developed by David Parnas in 1972. And it was a, it was, he's a, he was a computer scientist. But very, very little of this is known to people because, again, we're not really teaching software design in college. So this has been around a long time, pretty proven in a lot of different engineering areas. And for us, it's been wildly successful for the last seven years for us. And a key thing here for the developers, if I'm making a change, I can narrow my field of view to what I'm working on. And my ability to just comprehend what the system is doing is so much easier. So, Key takeaway, we live in a world of change. We're not getting away from that. That's where I want to be, right? That's the exciting times we're in. I, I, we love being in this innovative world. I want to be building software that's fun to work on and that enables our ability to kind of leverage and take advantage of what we're learning in that world. If we don't do something, though, if we just let things go, if we don't think through some of this stuff, if we're just doing agile methods, we're going to build a system that's going to rot. There's no doubt about it. It's going to happen. So this design for change has been, that has been the key thing for us that has really provided that structure and that coherent design that has ultimately enabled us to kind of maintain the velocity of these systems like no other systems that we've worked on in the last 30 years of my experience. That wraps up another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. Thanks for joining us. If you have comments, questions, or would like us to cover a specific topic, let us know at the IO Podcast on Twitter or at our website, next.co. That's nxxt.co. Until next time, go out and innovate. <laughs>